listening to Brunch with me, Noreen Mayer, this morning. Let's turn to our next guest and topic of today. Now, when you think of Hong Kong, you may think of Hong Kong as a bit of a food haven or a bit of a financial hub. But let me tell you something, that owing to its unique geographical location and also climate, Hong Kong is a bit of a biodiversity hotspot. In the next 20 minutes or so, we'll be talking to insect ecologist Professor Benoit Guinard, who is an associate professor from the School of Biological Sciences from the Faculty of Science from the University of Hong Kong. And he also heads the Insect Biodiversity and Biogeography Laboratory. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor Guinard. Thank you, Noreen. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yes. So let's start right from the beginning. Before we talk about work, let's talk about how you sort of began uh, with your interest in insects. Well, um, it's a fascinating question because for, for me, as far as I can remember, I was always interested by nature, not just insects, but anything. Um, I had a chance to grow up uh, with a father who himself is a biologist. So I had a very keen interest uh, to learn. And in particular, my father uh, is a plant biologist. But I think as a kid, I was more interested by those things that were moving on plants than by the plants themselves. And insects naturally piqued my interest uh, in that sense. And growing up, uh, I was a kind of child, a child that basically were collecting insects and keeping them uh, in his bedroom. And my parents were, were I say, nice enough uh, to actually let me do that and sometimes even encouraging me to do so. So I really developed interest uh, in insects that way by direct observation I could make in nature or just in my own room, but also uh, through reading books. And I remember at some point I read that uh, back then we could we had described about one million species of insects alone. I found that number absolutely uh, amazing and and so much in comparison of what we know of mammals, for example, where which include ourselves and uh, six or six thousand other species. So. Um, Slowly, but certainly, I keep growing that interest in insects. Then at some point, I, I'm originally from France, and I started going to college there. But to be honest, I wasn't exactly the best student over there, not really motivated to do uh, the kind of work that uh, I had to do back then. And uh, when I was about 21, I actually moved to Canada, to Montreal, where I went to a very different uh, university and different program, where basically was very much hands-on. Then I turned out to be absolutely fascinated by what I was learning and doing. So I had what I call um, some kind of a bulimia for for knowledge. I just wanted to ingest everything I could uh, put my eyes on. And that's how I started uh, working a lot, working up very early and have the chance to do project, research project on my own. And that was really a game changer for me, where I basically um, worked and worked and worked and and. To me, it was not work, actually. It was just a passion. And I was just trying to, to get as much as I could. And it was very fascinating because Montreal can be much cooler than Hong Kong, <laughs> by far. And one of the very first projects I had to do was actually to work um, in the biodome of Montreal, which is a kind of a zoological garden, which uh, one of the ecosystems that is replicated is actually a neotropical ecosystem, so similar to what you will find in Costa Rica. So temperature is about 30, 32 degrees uh, inside, except that I was working there in January, February, March, where temperature was the same, but in a negative sense. So in about a five, 10 minutes period that I, I was actually transitioning from the outdoor to the indoor, actually my body was experiencing a 70 degree uh, difference. temperature difference. Wow. So that, that was absolutely uh, fascinating. But even more so to me was actually the six different species that I could find there, all introduced 
that you will never find anywhere else in Montreal, but just in this particular spot, because the people who actually uh, brought some plants from uh, Costa Rica and probably some other tropical region had also brought uh, those tiny ants that were uh, in the soil and in the leaf litter. And unfortunately, some of them were stinging and stinging the animals that they were keeping for the, for the visitors, as well as the, zoo, uh, the zookeeper. And that was a, a, a big thing because the zookeeper even were threatening to actually go on strike at that point if nothing was done. So my job was, uh, was then to understand the distribution of those species in there, the kind of interaction they were having and the potential impact that they may have as well. And I thought it was, Fascinating because I was looking at those two millimeters long ants that basically had this huge impact on the ecosystem. And that's, I think, something I realized very early on. And I was 21, 22 years old back then. And then I really start digging up on ants. And that's where my passion really start growing. And I said, you know, it's like falling in love for the rest of your life. And from that point on, I knew what I wanted to, to do for the rest of my life. Wow. What a moment to just have that realization, to find your passion. It was, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I had the chance to continue uh, doing an MPhil um, in Montreal. Um, but as a French person and living in Montreal, it was uh, in a French-speaking university. And uh, my English back then was actually terrible. You can maybe still hear the French accent behind, but... Your English but, is so good. <laughs> but back then, believe me, it, it was not at all. And, and at this point, um, I had one hero who was a professor from Harvard who passed away uh, a couple of years ago. And unfortunately, uh, Edward O. Wilson, which is like super famous uh, ecologist, biographer, in, incredible contribution to science. And he came to Montreal to give, give a talk. And of course, I, I went to listen to him and, and I was fascinated. And, and then uh, I went with one of my friends who actually uh, was a, a um, English speaker, but spoke perfect French. And she told me like, oh, let's go and talk with him at the end. And me, I was terrorized. I said, no, no, we cannot do that. That's Head Wilson. You know, it's like, it's like my God, you know, you, can, you cannot go talk to him. It's, you, you're not even supposed to look at him. <laughs> but the truth is that I was just petrified because I knew my English was bad. And I, we went, she pushed me, uh, and I could not thank, thank her enough for, for doing so. And when I meet him, I wanted to tell him so much about my research. I wanted to ask him so many questions about everything I'd read that, uh, of his work, but I could not. And it was probably one of the biggest frustrations of my life that night. And then I decided that I would continue to do my next degree, a PhD in that case, uh, in an English-speaking country, because I never wanted that situation to happen ever again. And so that's how I actually migrated to the US to do a PhD. And uh, I was very fortunate back then to have a fantastic advisor. Uh, his name is Rob Dunn. He wrote a fantastic uh, book that I recommend to everybody to read. They're actually popular science, very beautiful on all kinds of topics. Um, but at the end of my PhD, um, here at Wilson, I'd heard about my research. So he invited me back in Harvard. And then I, I met him and I gave him a presentation. I can tell you that my knees were still shocking, like Castaneta. Um, but at least um, he gave me a chance to publish some of my work. Uh, he basically took me under his wing at this point. Uh, and I thought I really had completed the cycle that uh, five years before actually pushed me uh, to move further south. That was your destiny. In a way, I mean, uh, I'm not the kind of person to really believe in destiny because I believe you have chances and you have opportunities and you have to seize them. And I think it's very important. Um, but that, that was, you know, my, my way, my path that, that I took and, and, and dig up. And then I moved to Japan. Um, and I kept doing some fantastic work with uh, one of my other colleagues in Okinawa. 
met my wife also there. So that's uh, very important. And, but in general, I, I fall in love with Asia. And I fall in love in Asia with, for many reasons. I mean, one is the culture, the people. They're absolutely fascinating and, and, and nice and, and so kind. Uh, but also for the biodiversity. Uh, because at least for the group I study, ants, yeah. uh, I think Asia uh, is probably one of the most diverse places in the world, if not the most diverse place. And so much, so much is still unknown. And so that's what I try to do very modestly in terms of contribution in Hong Kong, but also in other, other countries. Um, so we can get a, a better understanding of what are all those species, what they do, why they are important for the ecosystems and why they are important to us. And also some of them, such as some invasive ants like the fire ants, which are uh, infamous in Hong Kong now, um, are one that maybe we want to prevent ourselves from having in a territory like, like here or other places. So all of this is basically what is driving my, my research now. This, uh, this uh, I would say, uh, first for knowledge, still exists. Uh, now I create knowledge, which is in my students uh, with me. We create knowledge and that's a fantastic endeavor. Um, but also to share that knowledge, because I think knowledge has only a value when you can share it with people. So that's what we try to do, and in particular with the Hong Kong Biodiversity Museum as well. Uh, because I think it's very important for everyone to realize how important biodiversity is for every single one of us. Even if sometimes it might feel so far remote, it's actually in our life every day. And once you actually learn how to recognize it and how to appreciate, we have an entire new window and a new life that opens to you. So that's what we try to do. And I think since COVID, people really crave that that connection with nature as well. So let's talk a little bit more about the Hong Kong Biodiversity Museum. What's the background behind it? So when, when I joined the University of Hong Kong um, in 2014, I was introduced to uh, this room that um, was, I would say, close to a storage room where a bunch of specimens were a bit piled up uh, here and there. And uh, I had worked in museum before during my career, and I thought this was... Um, something that was very valuable for us as scientists, first of all, but also for Hong Kong, because uh, collections actually provide you um, what I like to call a time travel uh, window. You can go back to specimens that were created sometimes decades or hundreds of years ago, and you can understand what they will look like before. Some of them might be Some extinct. Very preserved very well as well. Exactly, yeah. very well preserved. You can extract lots of information about the morphology, for example, to see if that change over time. And that might be changing because the habitat is changing, because the climate is changing. Uh, you can actually also now look at their DNA, the evolution uh, adaptation that they may have to particular conditions. So they are very important collections. And that's what I think um, a city like Hong Kong should have a museum. And of course, uh, collections are a very great way to um, provide them to the people. So the the public can have this window where they can see hundreds, thousands of specimens of species and they can appreciate them and realize the diversity of life. Because when you see one specimen in nature, they can be very beautiful. But when you have 200 of them that are presented in front of you, then you start perceiving all the differences and how different life may be. And you can do that for every single taxonomic group. So crabs, ants, mammals, birds, anything. And sometimes when you see them in nature, you don't get such a good look at them. That's right. You may not be able to get so close to them um, unless you're super, you, you know, the techniques because insects are super perceptive. They know when you're sort of coming towards them and they just run away. You're, you're absolutely right. And I, I think in many cases, people should not disturb the nature. 
when they when they see it, they should just let it go. Uh, sometimes you definitely don't want to approach it because some species can represent some kind of danger. Sure. Um, and and so, but in a museum, you can spend all the time you want near to a, a cobra, yes. and and that's going to be fine. You can um, have a, a sting bug without having the the noise that it may produce for its defense, um, but you can still perceive a lot of the colors and a lot of the morphology. So. There's a lot you can appreciate that way. And I said, now we have opened uh, for a bit over two years. We're getting close to 25,000 visitors. Uh, and, and we have a lot of children. We have a lot of parents coming with them and uh, all kinds of public. And to us, it's very important to actually reach out and, and explain why every single species has a fascinating story behind it and, and why we need to, to learn more about them, to protect them and just to respect them. Yeah, that's incredible. And I can really hear the passion in your voice, which leads me to think, why are some people so scared of insects? And when you speak to a lot of people in Hong Kong, and we talked about this maybe before we started uh, to, to go on air, maybe people in Hong Kong didn't really grow up with a lot of um, nature around them. Well, maybe some have, but maybe some haven't. But if you talk to some people, they'll be really terrified of insects to a point where they detested very strong feelings towards um, mosquitoes or, or cockroaches. And where do you think that comes from? Well, um, it's ignorance. Uh, I, I think all kinds of irrational fear that we may have towards insects, but also over, over people, people who are not from your culture. Sometimes you have racism, which yes. is just a question of ignorance. It's the same thing. So what, that's why museums are so important because we bring knowledge and we bring a different view. I don't want people to be scared of, of insects because I mean, they are, they are missing something so important in their life. Again, over one million species here that you may never appreciate. I mean, what, what a waste, I, I would say. I see people here in Hong Kong being scared of butterflies. I mean, yes. unless you, you are flower producing nectar, which I don't think many people do. Uh, and in that case, they might be sparing pollen. So it's actually a good thing, even for the flower. You have absolutely no reason whatsoever to be scared of a butterfly. And bees. And bees. Yeah. yeah. I can understand wasps. Maybe they can be a little bit, you know, bigger and sort of like angrier looking. But, you know, I actually know people who have actually, I'm sorry to say this, Professor, but hate insects. No, no, I meet some every you meet day. You yeah. yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, but uh, uh, to, to me, it's not a fatality. I, uh, and what we try to do is actually to reverse that. Yes. So we have people that come into a museum who actually do not like insects, uh, hate them, yeah. maybe. But uh, some of them, not all, but some of them, when they leave, they actually love them. Wow. Uh, or at the very least, they will respect them. And so uh, I have examples through uh, the past few years where we really turn people around and, and they are thankful for that because now they can appreciate a good hike and, and they see things that before they will try to avoid and they really appreciate uh, to see and, and they want to learn more. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's something that, again, if you, if you bring the people in the right direction, you provide them the knowledge that they need to. You mentioned cockroach earlier. I can tell you, I had, I had groups of students where uh, I was giving a quick uh, introduction and I told them in, in 30 minutes or so, you're going to be uh, catching cockroach with your bare hands and actually moving them around. And they looked at me like, you're just a crazy dude. I can swear to you, half an hour later, they were on their knees collecting cockroach. They were putting them in little borders, even asking me, can I bring them back home? They are so cute. They're so cute. <laughs> no, no, re re really. 
it's it just you well, know if you spend that the time, shifting of the mentality you you mm. can shift that um and, and you know again it's just knowledge uh you know we have a lot of prejudice in our life about anything insects is one of them it's not the only one but again if you have somebody you know we can present them to you and what i do i mean i I take the cockroach myself. I, I see them and they see like, oh, I mean, I look relatively sane. Yeah. Uh, and I have cockroach yes. in my hands. And, uh, and you said, no, there is no danger. And, and this is what they do. This is why they are important in the environment. Uh, and that's why we need to take care of them. And well, I understand that if you have an encounter that one of them in your kitchen, you might not be so happy. Uh, but nonetheless, they, they have a function and a role. And so that's what people need to realize and, and understand. I, I would say just to finish on that, because the one we find in nature are also different from the one you would find inside houses and apartments. Um, but often the insecticide that you use in your home can be more damaging for you, your family and, and your pets than actually for the cockroach, which have a very strong um, resistance against uh, insecticide. Uh, and so we, we got to be very careful uh, of that as well. Some, sometimes the solution is worse than the, what seems to be a threat. The insects itself. The insects, yeah. Absolutely. That's so interesting. It sounds like we, we need to be educating children from a young age because um, hating something or insects, you know, in, in, in this particular purpose is a learned behavior. So if we teach our children from a young age that actually these insects have a role and they shouldn't be feared, that they'll actually grow up not hurting these insects or actually, you Absolutely. know, that shouldn't be the first thought because when you speak to, you know, perhaps I know from my aunts and my grandma, you know, the first reaction to the insect is, oh, let's get rid of it. Um, and sometimes that is just the automatic feeling, but actually if you catch it and you just set it outside, that's all they need. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, they don't even want to be in your house. Maybe they want to be outside with their friends. That, <laughs> that's right. And, you know, I mean, for, for the cockroach, you know, one of the parallels I often make is um, cockroach are like the uh, the garbage men of, of our ecosystems. They are the cleaners and they're very important. And, well, maybe their children or their parents will listen to us. And when you think about your children, you don't want them to become garbage men. That's not the first job that comes to mind. Nonetheless, those jobs are so, so important. important. And I can tell you, I'm from France. Uh, you know, the national sport over there is to be on strike. Yes. <laughs> and we had long strike in some cities where garbage men were not doing their job. Of course. And people were just miserable after just a and few weeks. And the impacts of that. Exactly. The impacts, you know, and the disease that spreads and everything. Cockroach, uh, this is the job that they are doing. It might not be the most valued according to our standards. It doesn't mean it's unnecessary or not valuable. Yeah, I started this interview uh, saying that it was long overdue because um, I think years and years ago, you and your team discovered um, a, a, an ant called the golden tree ant. Talk us through that discovery. And since then, what else have you you and your team discovered? So uh, Hong Kong is, is, as I think your intuition said that very well, is located in a very particular place. And uh, we have great climate um, and an history as well. Uh, of vegetation and, and organisms living here. Now, many of the species that live in Hong Kong are unknown. That might seem surprising to some people, but globally, we estimate that 80% of the species with which we share the, the planet are actually unknown to science. So much to discover. Um, I don't know exactly, I could not tell you the percentage for Hong Kong, but uh, there are definitely a lot we can find. And one of the first uh, end that um, my group discovered was actually Paratopula bohinia, or the golden tree end. And that one was discovered just about 150 meters from my laboratory. So you don't necessarily need to go like very deep into a type of cow or, or some other deep forest. No, no, it was just on the edge of Langfushan uh, Country Park. 
And this is an arboreal species that is mainly active at night, so probably that's why uh, people did not collect it. It's not that frequent, although now we know that it occurs in other parts of Hong Kong as well. Um, but it just sometimes uh, having the expertise of uh, identifying and recognizing what is a uh, different taxonomic group. And since we, we have been doing this work and we get funding from uh, the Motorial Conservation uh, Fund, which help us to, to do taxonomic work. And, and this is uh, probably some of the most fundamental work because describing a species allow you to do any kind of work afterwards. If you don't know what you have, uh, you cannot tell what it is. Again, if I make a parallel, if you remember when COVID started, we didn't know what it was. The first job was actually to describe what virus that was, and then people were able to identify it properly and to study it. It's the same with every single component of life. So taxonomy is actually so important in that regard. And we do that for ants because that's that's the main group we, we focus on for our research. And just this year, we have described 25 new species. Uh, wow. Some from Hong Kong. I think we have uh, six from Hong Kong and the rest from other parts of, of Asia. And I can tell you that those are not going to be the only ones. We have uh, several more that in, are in the pipeline right now. And in the years previous that, we, we described also several other species. So I think I, I lost count exactly how many we described from Hong Kong, Macau, and also some other parts. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's to us something very common, but very important because again, once we know what those species are, we can actually uh, start doing more work on them and understanding their ecology better and also what they do in the environment. Excellent. Well, I really, really enjoyed chatting with you, Professor Guinard. Maybe I look forward to chatting with you again next week for another episode uh, to talk a little bit more about the golden tree ant and perhaps more about ants in general. Thank you so much. Thank you.